Hey, it's Steve and welcome to Share, a podcast that sets out to do just that. From stories and reflections to ideas and concepts, each episode will dive into a wide range of topics and discussions that come from a journey through life. The simple fact I've discovered is when we share, we empower, not just ourselves, but each other. It's a very special episode this week featuring a lady that's literally known me my whole life, longer than anyone else on this planet to be exact. Someone that has been there for every up, down, twist and turn I've experienced through life's roller coaster journey. Along with being a very proud mum and nana, she's also a life coach, a virtues master facilitator and has spent over 30 years working within the disability services sector. In this chat, I enjoyed hearing her reflections and insights from her journey through life, love, loss, learning and everything in between. Some know her as Penelope, others Penny, but to me, she's mum. And I had the great pleasure in sitting down with her for this week's episode. Enjoy. Mum, welcome to Share. Thank you for inviting me. Pleasure to be here. It's a privilege. Obviously, we've had lots of chats over the years. It's awesome to invite you onto my podcast. It's a, a privilege, as I say, to be here. I value the sharing that we've had over the years as well, which is very good, I think, in relationship to us and our being mother and son. Yeah, it's definitely been good. It's helped me. As I say, you are my greatest teacher. I'm very proud to say that and how you've helped me through my challenges. No one's known me longer than you. Well, that's true. Hey, (laughs) you can't take that away from me. (laughs) No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I wanted to start just by asking you to give a bit of a snapshot on who is Penny Sampson. Whoa, <laughs> a snapshot. <laughs> who am I? Yeah, that that's a very difficult one, isn't it? I think um, we're constantly learning about ourselves, and even at my age, I'm still learning. Asking myself, who is Penny Sampson? I've been in a variety of roles all through my life, and each of those roles has, has taught me and changed me to a certain extent, although the core of being is always there, isn't it? Often I feel that little girl is still inside of me, which I think is important. Yeah, so who is Penny Sampson? I think I'm a variety of beings, but one, yeah. Tell me a little bit about your journey. Obviously, you were born in England. Yeah, I was born in England, and I had two very loving parents, although they were workers, so I find it fascinating when I think back now that the work my father did often took all of his time, but there was an underlying message there that we knew we were loved, and so there was a security and a safety that came with that. Yeah, I enjoyed my childhood. I enjoyed being in the different houses. We did move quite a bit to, in comparison with other people. And that might be why in some ways in my life I've instigated change as well. I do like change to a certain degree. (laughs) Possibly when I feel I'm in a little control of it. I grew up in Thornton Heath and Epping in Essex. I used to love going over the fields and feeling free and being with nature. I love that. I used to have an observer book of wildflowers and animals and we used to check the hedgerows. So that was wonderful to do that and I still have that sense at times of being in the natural environment. I've had a variety of jobs. I started in banking in London and for the last um, 30 odd years I was in the disability sector. But I suppose when I talk about instigating change, you know, I I married at 21 and I had a a couple of children in the, the following years and then 
my third child came along in 76. But there was always something different that I wanted, a new challenge. And I think I sort of instigated the emigration to Australia. In my sense, it was a new beginning, palm trees, beaches, (laughs) sun, (laughs) a little bit different from England. My goodness, that was a learning curve in itself. Coming to a country that you really don't know much about, although you think you do, and there is a subtle difference in the culture. You know, it's not the same as English. So for a couple of years, I think I went through a grieving process, which was difficult, not knowing anyone over in Australia. But yeah, I, that, that, I grew through that. I mean, I think any challenge we have and we face that challenge and we work with it, then we grow. I ended up getting work and a regular job and had another child as well. Yeah, I'm sort of getting lost here a little bit. (laughs) It's a big life, which, you know, has been a very rich life as well. Yeah, so sadly, my first marriage broke down. And yeah, I um, ended up meeting another man who became my soulmate. We had challenging journey together and that one involved illness and the dreaded sea (laughs) but it was probably a wonderful time of my life as well and through that again I learned and grew I was working in the disability sector at the time I came across the virtues that was important to me I suppose because that supported our journey in a lot of ways in strengths you know, and what what you sort of need to work on, grounding you, questioning, reflection. You know, I lost my husband 10 years ago. And since then, possibly you asked me who Penny Sampson is. And I've been trying to find out that that ever since. (laughs) Who is this lady? (laughs) And, And sometimes us kids and the grandkids have had to remind you of that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, family, all through my life, family has been everything. And I see that as my life's work. You know, I mean, we all have these jobs as such. But for me, family is everything, you know, and people in my life. I once had a friend ask me, what did I believe in? And my answer at the time was people. I believe in people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. So through that journey, mum, you know, there's a few things there, virtues, work, life, and obviously some of the experiences that you've been through. But I'd really love to touch on your time in the disability sector. How did you start within that sector? How did I start in terms of practical work-wise? Yeah. Okay. Um, Well, it was interesting because I had a friend at the time who is still my bestie (laughs) that I met when I first came to Australia, and she helped me get a part-time job at TAFE and I was teaching, which again was a challenge for me. And it was at the time when you basically could teach at TAFE if you had some experience. And I mean, my experience, I suppose, was I love cooking and always had done and done quite a bit through my life. And that helped me to get into that side of teaching and It took some courage, but um, I remember my first class, I was teaching home and small business equipment. I'm sure my knees were knocking when I was standing there. (laughs) Anyway, from there, I did a variety of things, but um, I was offered um, a course 
which was two weeks course working with people with disability and it was in conjunction with special education services and TAFE. Teaching domestic skills to young people leaving school or special school at the time. It was interesting because I'd never really had a lot to do with people with disability and it opened up a whole new world to me. Challenging in itself, but I think it taught me that we are all people. It doesn't matter if we have a a disability or, or whatever. We all have the same feeling about hopes and dreams and challenges in our lives. From there, I applied for a job with disability services or intellectual handicap services, as it was at the time. Basically, in Ipswich, you know, we had the Challenger Centre, which was still the institution. And I taught a kitchen safety course to the community houses that they were moving people out into. And I sort of progressed from there and ended up being working on projects. But, I mean, to get there, I went through, you know, management roles and staff training and development. Now, with staff training and development, I often presented values training, which was based on the social valorization component by Wolf Wolfensberger in the States. And that was really a personal growth for me as well, working with that and presenting that in the cert for. I suppose that aligned very much with how I move forward with values or virtues and digging deeper, I suppose, to understand those things, yeah. I ended up with project work with disability services and that was very much about training staff, how we should work with a person and not for a person and how we support someone to have better lives. And I've always said, you know, person with a disability, if they're supported, their day is only going to be as good as the person supporting them. You know, if they haven't got someone who's... Well, that's a powerful quote, isn't it? It is. It is. Because if you've got someone supporting you that's not valuing you or not engaging you um, and they're doing for you, not doing with you, then you become invisible. And I mean, that has... I suppose that has implications for all of us and how we interact with people. Yeah. Yeah, that's just made me start to reflect in my mind. That's, you know, that's that's a quote for life. You know, that's a, a vision for life. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, it seems simple, but it's it's not, mm. you know, yeah. So through the time in the disabilities sector, obviously you had a number of different roles. Are there some fond memories or reflections that you've got through that time? You know, I have one memory, and we were working uh, the TAFE, the old TAFE building in Ipswich, and we were teaching craft. I was doing plaster casting, so we were doing little models. I always remember one man, he would have been called someone with Down syndrome. You know, he didn't speak. He usually made noises, and he took the the rubber off his plaster cast and he saw his little figure there and his excitement, you know, like, you know, like it was just, I've never forgotten that. And the other part I remember fondly is when I used to take with an, with a team, we used to take people on adventure trails, I suppose you could say. They'd be people that were living in Chandler Centre and would be seen as having challenging behaviour. And, you know, 
engaging them in something like that. They would work together. They would help each other. We rarely saw any of the behaviours that were, you know. And and it's sad because people become seen as behaviours rather than a person. People are wary of them. But putting them in a, a natural environment and engaging them, they, yeah, they change. Sounds like, and I know from talking to you over the years, that there was definitely some rewarding experiences through through that time in the disability sector. Yes, it was. Yeah. Oh, I, I've always got a real buzz in supporting people in any which way, however small, to have a better life. Yeah. So that's, I suppose that's been something that's my purpose. Even with some of the courses that, or retreats I rang later on after I left disability services, just some of the feedback sometimes that people give you, and it may only be one person, but that's a gem that you take away with you, yeah. Which is interesting because through my podcast and what I've been sharing over the recent years, it's just one person is is my key vision and focus really as well as that if we can just help one person and then that person can help one person or share their story and the power that comes from that as we say you know when we share we empower we empower that one person to to make a change to to be inspired feel like they're worthy to feel like they're loved to feel like and from a male perspective with mental health i you want people to feel like they're not alone Exactly. And I think for me, and I I can go back to my second husband, he saw me. And I think it's important that you feel that you're seen. Someone sees you and that's seeing you. It's almost seeing your part of your soul. It goes deeper. Yeah. Yeah. Now, obviously, you've recently retired. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> it's a challenge in itself. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd like, love to ask you in your last role that you had, just to kind of some reflections on, on that role that you finished up with. The support coordinator? Yeah. Well, over the years, the disability sector has changed, obviously. Um, we now have the NDIS, which is a, a funded program by the government. So uh, people are funded, more often than not, I believe, to for have support coordination and that is to help people to identify what services and supports um, they might need to have a good life which it's interesting when you work with families because families don't talk in goals and plans and you know and that's very much comes from the program you know having a plan so supporting them to think about what is their dream or what is it they would like to be doing and often you can hear that in someone's conversation. They'll talk about things and you can pick up and say, well, I just heard you say about this. Is that something you would like to do? And then it's really following through and seeing what services or sports are out there that can engage that person in that activity or um, environment or whatever it is. I did a lot of work with person-centred planning. That's very much about what's important to a person. You know, there's a difference. When I talked about um, whether you work with a person or work for a person, 
there's things that are important for us, which are like going to the doctors on a regular basis, you know, the services and supports around that. But important too is what makes our life good, our day good. And that might be as small as having a cup of coffee in the morning, but having that cup of coffee in the way that you like it. And if you think of the different thing, ways you can have coffee, you know, you can have a short black, a long black, flat white. That really keys into the support people get and really understanding the person. How we train support workers and support people to understand that's how you should be supporting someone is the issue, really. I don't think there's enough people that really understand the nitty-gritty unless they could be taken through that journey of perhaps training or awareness. Yeah. I think one of those things, Mum, in life, and, and I've talked about this, whether it's in real estate or it's in business or even just being part of a population of in Australia, is that so many things are transactional. It's all numbers. And how do you make someone, rather than feel like a number, feel valued? That's right. That's right. Yeah. How is it you, well, you notice those things about someone in terms of, who they are. You ask, who is Penny Sampson? My routine is part of Penny Sampson. You know, whether it's simple things like what toothpaste I use, you know, that that's all built in. There's so, so much about us all in our routines and what we do in life, what we enjoy, that often we don't, we don't pick up on it from other, you know, about other people. Yeah. Or ourselves. <laughs> Unless we reflect, and I think that reflection is really important, yeah. So working in that last role and reflecting over the years, what has changed and what changes would you also like to see that probably haven't come as far as they need to? Well, I've seen, I mean, Chandler Centre, people move out of the Chandler Centre into what they call the ALS houses in Ipswich and other areas. People became isolated, but then we had a move to engage people more and I did work on a program which was active support, engaging people. So that was about getting people engaged in what they enjoyed. Yeah, and then person centered planning came in, you know, and that's that supporting people with their plans and to have a better life. And it's been a gradual so very gradual, very slow. Sometimes the community can be the challenge for people. You know, I even noticed that with Pete when he was on his mobile scooter and access for people to different things where you've got stairs to go into a club or whatever and there's no ramp or if there's a ramp, there's actually a step to go up to the ramp. Thinking about those social things that really restrict, restrict people. We have got better. I think there's a long way to go, but I still come back to training for staff is important and the right training to understand actually what their role is in that person's life, not just taking them to a coffee shop or into a shopping centre, but engaging them in the activity and how do they do that. So supporting them to take more responsibility maybe about buying a cup of coffee so they handle their money. Different, different things. I mean, it's a huge area. I still don't think we train staff or services train staff as much as they should. And I think the government 
when the government had control, I think government staff had more training. There was probably more money for that. It is difficult for services to yeah. serve of the money, you know, like, I mean, they need to be funded for that to occur. And it's about... If you're going to improve someone's life, they still need to work on the supports they're receiving and monitor that. And it's about, I suppose, training people to see them on a deeper level, see the people that they're helping and not just in the disability sector, but in life, really, is seeing people on a deeper level, seeing who they are, but then also helping them to empower them to be who they want to be. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Taking them on that journey so they understand. And usually with, you know, that sort of those workshops or training, it's actually starting with them first so they can reflect on themselves and where they are at and then think about the person they're supporting in relation to that aspect yeah yeah it's hard these days because a lot of things we're online today and i i still believe in face-to-face and getting people interacting yeah 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 now through your journey and i think it probably flows quite well but through your your work and journey through disability services and the work you did there you came across the virtues Yes, I did. I mean, that was way back in the mid-1990s, and that was through a psychologist who talked to me about the Virtues Project. So she introduced me to that. She invited me to a two-day workshop. Working as a manager, I supported yearly planning for people we were supporting in the houses. You'd look at what activities you'd engage the person in, how how you could improve their lives. So there there was still that aspect to it. But with the virtues, it sort of drew me to the fact that it's going deeper. It's looking at a person's strengths or looking at their virtues or their growth virtues. So you start to think is, how do we support this person to understand they should be more patient? What would that look like? Or how could we support them to take more responsibility? And what would we need to put into practice there? It sort of went one level deeper than the activity that, yeah, we were sort of suggesting. So I find found that fascinating. And I suppose it, it started to ring bells for me. I'd never really thought about it before. I mean, I was, I was brought up in a, a home where values were part of our life, I suppose. We had all the old proverbs and sayings and, they were all part of that, really, which we, we don't seem to have so much today. But I did think, I, I wish I'd had this when I was a young mum, you know, to think about how I acknowledge some of my children's strengths of character, how I responded to them. Yeah, it, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot there in terms of the strategies, you know, giving them time, I always say, you know, how does a child know how to be respectful when they don't know what being respectful looks like? But if you acknowledge them when they are being respectful, then next time you can say to them, do you remember last time when this happened and how you behave? Well, that's what you should be doing today. So it's bringing them back to their strengths and who they are. And how do we know who we are if we're not acknowledged for that either? Well, way back when I was introduced to the virtues, I was asked to do present a, a session. And the psychologist said to me, oh, Penny, you know, what courage you have. 
because I said I'd do it and I'd never presented with the virtues before. And it really, I never forgot that. I thought no one's ever told me I've got courage. It was really strengthening. You know, so it reaffirms who we are and the strengths we have. I mean, I might have courage today, but tomorrow I might need to work on my courage. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it's not something that's set, but being aware of that and that you can draw on that. So tell me, where did your journey start with the Virtues Project? Well, after being introduced to the two-day introduction, which was really the, the start, but not I didn't really get into it, I went to a Pace of Grace retreat in Boona with Linda and Dan, and I actually took my husband along, who I think he just came, you know, <laughs> to keep me company. It was a real awakening, I think, for both of us. You know, I remember the first session, Linda asked each person, what virtue do you bring to this session? And I remember Pete looked at the list and he said, oh, I think I'll bring you all of those. (laughs) 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 So (laughs) we we were asked to do a spirit walk, which I'd never done. And I was still at that stage thinking spirit walk, you know, what's that? Anyway, we were asked to go and be drawn to something. There was like bush surrounding where we were having this workshop. I remember going down the pathway thinking, oh, gosh, you know, what can I take back with me? I need to be saying something about something. I looked to the tree and the bark was coming off of it and I thought, oh, could uh, go back and talk about renewal and the bark coming off the tree. And so I was really looking at the task rather than letting myself be and be at one with nature. Anyway, I continued on down this pathway and I tended I looked back and there was this ring hanging from this tree. I thought, strange, it looks strange. Anyway, it was just above my head. And I went back to this tree and I put my finger through this ring and pulled it down. And it was a key ring. And I still have it, mind you. I still have this rusted key ring. How on earth it got into this tree, I don't know. But I actually went cold at the time because Dan had been talking that morning saying that the virtues were the key to life. Mm. I thought, oh, my God, I have the key ring. (laughs) Yeah, that's powerful. It was very powerful, yeah. So there's there's been a few things like that through my life with Spirit Walks, yeah. It is very powerful when you let yourself be at one with nature or wherever you are and just – Think about your surroundings and allow them to speak to you, basically. Yeah, and obviously you formed a, a very strong relationship over the years that's that's still going today with Linda and Dan. Yes, I did. Yes, I have. I mean, we don't haven't seen each other that much, but I always have felt a true connection with Linda. She's a beautiful soul. They were the founders of the Virtues Project way back thirty odd years ago, I think now, and. Yeah, she's a beautiful song. So you mentioned in regards to the virtues, when us kids were younger or when you were younger, you would have loved to have had the virtues. Can you talk me through how you've used the virtues through some of the highs and lows through your journey? Well, if I go back to Peter and our journey with cancer, Pete was a real sort of larrikin Aussie guy. And at first, I don't think he really related 
to the virtues, but through our journey, we started having virtues picks and would find them very grounding. When things were particularly challenging, just to sit and have a virtues pick opened up a conversation where we could talk about how we were really feeling or what was really affecting us. And, you know, at times we would laugh and sometimes we'd cry with those reflections. I mean, I even remember (laughs) when we were staying at Friends, and this was probably only a few months before Pete passed, we were house-sitting and he was on a ride on mower, which I'd actually said he shouldn't go on. (laughs) And he'd gone down with his oxygen machine (laughs) to get on this ride on mower. And, you know, when I looked at his face on this mower when he saw me, he was so happy. I thought then, detachment, Benny, detachment. (laughs) And one of the important virtues for him towards the end was dignity, retaining his dignity, yeah, Mm. being able to be who he was. I think anyone that knew Pete, we all knew you were a brave person to try and tell Pete not to do something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When he had his mind made up, yeah. Yeah, but he was always the type of person that if you needed help with something, as you thought you needed help with something, there was a knock at the door and he'd say, I'm here. Yeah. And that was hard for him because in the later years of his life and in that time towards the end, he much of the service and the enjoyment he got out of giving, he wasn't able to. And that obviously aligns with dignity and his value at the end as well. And who you are. And I think, I mean, there's lots of lessons around that. As I get older, I realize for people who are aging, retaining some sort of dignity, we all, to some extent, lose our independence as we go on that journey. And just being mindful of that for people, go back to supporting people, that dignity is so important. And understanding where that person is and allowing them to just be and share what's happening for them. Yeah. Yeah. In the later part of Pete's life, obviously you spend a lot of time in hospital. Is there a key moment or any key reflections around how the virtues really let you be and connected you? It's interesting because Linda wrote a book, Graceful Endings, which Pete actually read part of it before he passed. And I remember it was only a week or so before It talked about the carer and how the carer needed care themselves. And he was very mindful of me. And he arranged my daughter and daughter-in-laws to go away for a night or so down to the Gold Coast, which was quite powerful, you know, in itself. I suppose for him it was that caring. I suppose in any behavior or what's happening, the virtues really do support you. Resilience. We laughed at one time where the the quote on that is, that which does not kill you makes you stronger. And I think we both had a laugh about that, (laughs) which was a little bit ironic (laughs) considering what was happening at the time. But it's it's those sorts of things where, yeah, it just helped. It helped us. And the graceful ending sort of became my Bible a little bit by my bed for a few months. Um, because it does it does talk about finding yourself after you've had all those roles 
um, or the role of carer, the role of wife, and you lose those roles in life when someone leaves. And it, and that that's part about who am I? Yeah, who is Penny Sampson? <laughs> so for anyone, for anyone that, as we all do, we go through loss in life. And, and I know you touched on it that you'd felt lost after Pete passed, but what helped you find yourself again? I think reflection, honesty with yourself as well. You know, I continually use virtues, particularly when I've been down. I personally have a personal reflection about what's meaningful for me today, what is my, you know, what's happening for me, what could support me. And virtues talk to you or speak to you in different ways. So you may pick understanding today and there's certain things or practices or behaviours that jump out at you but are meaningful today, but tomorrow they might mean something else if you pick the same virtue. Yeah, I think reflection, time with family and friends. One of the strategies of the Virtues Project is companioning. Just being there for someone. You know, you don't even have to talk sometimes. People being there for each other. Having that silence that someone's there and knowing someone's there. We all need each other. That sharing and honest sharing. I think sometimes when people lose someone, they say they don't know what to say and then they tend to Avoid coming round or avoid speaking to you when they see you because they don't know what to say and it's not that they don't care. But at, at the end of the day, it actually doesn't matter what you say. It's being there for someone. Yeah. It's funny you bring that up. I saw a quote yesterday and I've just brought it up and it says, by Rowan Atkinson, actually, Mr. Bean, and it says, remember who checks on you when you get a little quiet. Those are your people. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes it's not about having to do anything, but it's just knowing for them to know someone's there. Yes. You know, and it makes me think a little bit as well. And I shared at a retreat in the United States recently, Guy Sebastian sings the song Standing With You. It's such a powerful, the words in in a lot of his songs, the words are so powerful, but that is just so powerful in how to treat people and if you hear him talk about it, treat or, or be there for people that have got mental health, that I don't have to say anything, but I'm here, I'm standing with you. And, you know, I think we all need to be reminded in life that there are people that love us. There are people that are there ready just to stand with you. Yeah, that's true. It's true. And that companioning strategy of the virtues is really taking a walk along with someone. Same thing as standing with them or knowing that you're there and you're with them, mm. however way they choose to move forward. Yeah. I think when I think of the virtues and the journey that you and Pete took with the virtues, it's interesting how it started and obviously the longevity of the virtues through that. But I really think that it set him up for that final week before he passed going to try not cry here but and you, you're the same but up until that point I was scared of death that last week was just for me oh. it was just beautiful yeah his acceptance 
on where he was on his journey, his strength that he found in terms of that, mm. and his courage at the end. I think it really equipped him, really, mm. to face what he had to face. Yeah. And and it's interesting because I reflect back on what you were talking about when you first went to the Pace of Grace retreat, and he said, oh, I think I'd bring them all, right? But the truth was he didn't, you know, in that final week and through that the, those final days and weeks of his journey. I think he brought them all to the table. Yes, yeah, yeah. A beautiful journey. Yeah, definitely. Now, you, now you had some, uh, I kind of want to deviate a little bit now, but you had some beautiful trips together and you've been to some beautiful places in your life. I'd love yes. you to reflect on some of your travel. <laughs> yeah, I have been to, well, many times back to the UK because I have family back there, obviously. It's where I was born, so there's always a, a little part of me that belongs to the UK. Europe, we had we had fun in Europe, south of France and, you know, Chiliers and with my brother Simon in Switzerland. Challenges sometimes with not speaking the language. We were okay when we were with family, but it's hard when <laughs> people don't understand you. Yeah, South Africa and Canada. And a lot of them, I mean, the one in Canada was instigated by going to a mentorship with the virtues in Victoria, but that was beautiful. Canada is a lovely country, and, yeah, we, we thoroughly enjoyed that. It's, it's just never really travelled that much, apart from going to Australia from the UK. But in those years with Pete, we did travel. I think I've said to you many times we were... Or, you know, I used to say we're in Egypt, we're in denial. So if there was a challenge coming up, we'd, we'd actually go <laughs> on a holiday <laughs> beforehand, <laughs> whether it was an operation or something. We'd try and fit something in that would take us on that journey down the Nile. <laughs> Pete never um, was one to live by halves, was he? No. No. So we had a, a wonderful time. So there's a lot of joy there, a lot of connections as well with people. So. I think that was the important part as well for me. I mean, if I travel, I like to travel and feel part of the community to a certain extent rather than just be the camera-holding tourist, really. I like to get a sense of place and feel it. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. It's an understanding with that. Yeah. So if I can just move through to asking you a few things on life. Who's been your greatest teacher in life? I think, well, my dad probably more than my mum. But my mum obviously would be part of it. But I think my dad, in terms of life, he had some really good sayings about keep on keeping on and stiff up a lip type sayings where you always cope. Mum had a saying that she liked, which is if you, at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again. She often used that. I think she put it in an autograph album for me once. There was a lot of teachings and, as I said, a lot of underlying messages about love and caring. I've had many teachers and, and it's very, very hard because I a myriad of learnings over the years. I mean, I, I go back to the virtues, obviously, and, and Linda and a lot of the, the messages there, obviously, have been very powerful for me. Words are powerful. 
So with the sayings from, you know, my parents, perhaps from, from some of my teachers at school, words can really destroy or build someone up. And the different way words are used, I never forget in a session, and I'm probably going back to the virtues again here, but this girl talked about, she was sharing how she'd always been told that she was responsible and she'd found it like a lead weight around her neck that she always felt in life she had she was responsible. And I sat there thinking, oh, my goodness, I've always said how responsible my elder son is. It was interesting because it opened up a conversation that I had with him about being responsible. And the fact is you can't name someone responsible and expect them that that's, that's who they are. They're seen as who they are, where that's not right. You, you're giving them a label, whereas people practice responsibility from time to time. But it opened up that conversation. Yeah, I suppose words and pictures. I'm very visual. I still retain a lot of pictures in my head from my life with different people. I've learned a lot from a lot of people, yeah. It sounds like a key a key reflection there that I kind of focus on is it's not necessarily what you do for people, it's what you say. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, words because, are very powerful. Because when people use words and people say things, they there's a far more powerful emotional connection to words than there is to something materialistic or something physically being done. Yes. Yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah, although our body language does speak as well. So I suppose we can convey words with movement as well, caring, love, those sorts of things. So, yeah, we, we need to be careful with our words. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a, a good reminder and a, a good point to, to make as well. You talk about your parents, your mum and your dad. How have they shaped you? <laughs> I'm just thinking, I feel like I'm being, I'm more like my mother every day. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying anything. They shape me. I think, I always think we're conditioned as children, really, depending on how your parents see the world, how they, I suppose, interpret what a parent should be doing. No one has a rule book. I think just all my experiences. The more I put myself out there and I talk about change, the more I put myself out for different experiences, the more that's shaped me. It's about learning and understanding. So being open to that. Do we shape ourselves? That's an interesting question. You know, do we have boundaries around ourselves that retain that shape? There's there's quite a bit of depth in that question. Or do other people shape you? We make decisions in life that shape our life, that also shape us along the way. So if if we make a decision to do something, and I talk about sliding doors, in each of our lives, we've all got sliding doors. So if you didn't agree to meet that person, or you didn't run into that person, or you didn't open a conversation, or you didn't go on a holiday, or you didn't accept a job, or you didn't do a lot of these things, your life, one little decision can make really would have changed the course of your life. With that in mind, Mum, is there anything in your life that you may have been a bit unsure of that you look back now and you're just so grateful that you took the leap? 
That's a big question for me because I, I do take time to reflect on things. I like to weigh things up. I like to look at both sides of a picture and try and understand both sides. I also I visualize. So if I'm thinking of a choice, I, I try and visualize myself in that situation and then ask myself how I'm feeling. I, I mean, I do look for advice and I do listen, but I, I usually weigh that up. I like spontaneity as well, though. I like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> there's something nice about that. It takes away all the, yeah, there's, there's an almost an agony in making a decision sometimes, and we all feel better after we've made a decision. I think, you know, having encouragement from others is really important and knowing they're supporting you in their own way, perhaps morally. They may even think it's not quite the, the best decision. But And I know mum, you know, when I was coming to Australia, said to me, Penny, if it's about money, dad and I support you. And I said, no, I wanted to go for different reasons. Yeah. It's amazing. So, amazing how the, the journey. I, I love looking back and you know, I shared something yesterday, which Steve Jobs said, which, you know, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking backward. And it's such a powerful, such a powerful point. It is a powerful quote, yes. Yeah, we, we follow a path of our own making, but often we don't know when we make choices the breadth of that choice. I mean, if I hadn't come to Australia, life would have been very, very different and you wouldn't have been sitting there either. <laughs> Good point. Good point. I'm very grateful that you came to Australia. <laughs> so, yeah, it, I think, you know, sliding doors is, is powerful as well, the decisions we make, the decisions we don't make. Mm. But as I say, I think getting out of our comfort zone and change can be really beneficial. Yeah, trying something, even if it doesn't work, there's always a teachable moment. You know, what do we learn from that? What do I take from that? And what should I do next time? Yeah, mm. or not. <laughs> and recently I, I've i picked up on the concept of there's, there's comfort in discomfort because if you do something that has some discomfort that doesn't really sit comfortably with you, when you do it a second time, it's more comfortable. Yeah. And I love that because it really pushes you to kind of push forward. And it's interesting because years ago I was watching a movie with the boys when they were younger and it was with Matt Damon. We bought a zoo. Whether it's a movie or it's a podcast I listen to or anything, I always pick up on one line or one concept. And in that, he talked about 20 seconds of courage. And that's really grown me. And that reminds me at times when I need some courage which brings in the virtues as well. But when I need that courage, it's 20 seconds because it's interesting and it's amazing how powerful that 20 seconds is. If you just say, if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling nervous about something, if you've got to do a talk or you've got to do anything, if you just say, I just need courage for that 20 seconds, by the time the 20 seconds is done, you're into it and you're, you're away. Mm, that's true. Yeah, it's, yeah. you can draw on your strengths. You can be mindful that you do have courage, you know. I just need my courage today, yeah. I remember when I did the skydive, I turned around to the guy that was tandem 
jumping with me. And I said to him, I need my, my strength, my courage, and my faith in you. <laughs> <laughs> he would have had a laugh. <laughs> yes. Mum, can I ask you, what do you think of success and how has success changed through your life? That's, I mean, that's another word that I've sort of played with in my mind. I think there's levels of success and I'm not sure if success is a reality. You know, you can say someone is successful in a particular way, they've achieved something, or you can say, you know, they failed, but they would have had success in actually starting or doing something up to that time when they've visualized that they've failed. Yeah. Well, they say you win or you learn. You don't win or fail. That's right. Or win or yeah. lose, you you win and or yeah. learn. But win is a funny word as well. You know? True. <laughs> I mean, it's always nice for someone to win as such, but are others losers? They've come up to a certain point to, yeah, you know, if you're thinking about sport. I also think of something that I've reflected on in recent years is whether it's sport or whether it's business or whether it's life, when do you actually learn the most? Do you learn through your wins or do you learn through, you know, your losses or perceived losses? No, I think you, you learn more from things that don't go right than things that do go right. You probably have more reflection on things that don't go right <laughs> and work through that. We all learn in that way, I believe. My memories of life, a lot of them are about times when I should have done things differently. Yeah, or I feel I should have done. Not that I regret anything. I don't regret my life whatsoever, any of it. But there's things I can reflect on that I could have done it a bit better or been a bit better or, yeah. I'd love to ask you, Mum, what's the meaning of life for you? <laughs> I remember presenting a value session once and I think one of the guys, was it 46, is it, or 47? <laughs> anyway, it must be from a Monty Python or something. <laughs> Meaning of life is just appreciate, yeah, be thankful. Family, people, being the best who we can be. Still learning and still learning what the meaning of life is, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's a difficult one. When you find out, let me know. <laughs> I will do. No, I think we um, we need purpose. In hindsight, a reason to get out of bed in the morning, yeah, the sense of having a purpose and contributing. And if I can ask, what does family mean to you? Oh, one word, everything. <laughs> there we go. It's done. We, we could have just we could have just recorded that, Mum. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What does family mean to me? Oh, it just means. It's been my life, really, my life's work. I mean, before before I had family, I suppose, who was? I was Penny Hudson then, wasn't I? I think I'm still still the same, but family has enriched my life. I've learned so much from my children, and I think they've given a lot of meaning to my life and a lot of richness to my life and love. Yeah, yeah, I'm very blessed. So are we, all of us. <laughs> I can speak for my siblings and I can speak for our whole family and that I can, I can safely do that. <laughs> I want to ask you, knowing what you do now, 
after going through your journey through life to this stage, if you could sit with a young Penny, give us some advice, what would that be? Be a little bit more confident in terms of moving forward and have faith in yourself. Yeah, that's probably a biggie. Have faith in yourself. And that little inner critic in your mind, tell them to be quiet because <laughs> you're okay. <laughs> good advice, not just for little Penny, but good advice for all of us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's been a great chat today. I'd love, though, obviously, a lot of people that I share with the virtues, you and I share a virtues pick every day, almost every day, and how it speaks to us. So. I'd love to end it by us both doing a virtues pick, sharing our virtues pick from today, how it kind of speaks to us. I shared the virtues, did a virtues pick at breakfast at a men's retreat in Vermont. It's interesting. Some of the guys have actually gone out and bought the physical cards, but this morning I'm just doing it on the virtuesproject.com website and it's great, but I'll share mine first, mum. My pick that's come up today is devotion. And it says, devotion is commitment to something we care about deeply. It is a passionate focus on our life's purpose. It is wholehearted service to an endeavor that we love. Devotion to those we love is a promise kept in daily ways to care for one another always. Discernment is the first step in discovering what is worthy of our devotion. What is my yes? What calls to me so strongly that I cannot resist? knowing that it is truly mine to do. When we are devoted, we give all we have and all that we are. Devotion is our true wealth. And the quote on the card is, let the beauty we love be what we do. There are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. The practice of devotion, I discern the purpose to which life calls me. I work from the fullness of my heart. I do what I love and love what I do. I keep faith with my commitments every day. I say yes to my true calling. I'm willing to give my all to what I care about. I'm thankful for the gift of devotion. It makes me fully alive. And how does that speak to you? I think for you, for me, some of those statements in there we touched on in our chat today, but devotion really is devotion to my wife, family, but also devotion to my purpose this podcast and and everything that I'm kind of putting into it and everything I share online is about devoting a time reflection and kind of sharing that so that someone else gets out of it. So I think that aligns really well. Now I hear your devotion in following your yes. Yes. (laughs) I've just done one on the phone here. I've got humility. So humility is being modest, humble, and unpretentious. We consider others' views and needs as important as our own. We willingly serve others and accept help when we need it. When we cause hurt, we have the humility to admit it and make amends. We accept the lessons life brings, knowing that mistakes are often our best teachers. Humility is not humiliation. We do not shame ourselves or others with the illusion that we are meant to be perfect. We give our very best and trust that is enough. Humility reminds us to be thankful for our successes rather than boastful. 
I long to accomplish great and noble tasks, but it is my chief duty to accomplish humble tasks as though they were great and noble. So the practice or the behavior for humility is I value others' thoughts and feelings. I am willing to give and receive help. I am work in progress. I admit mistakes and I learn from them. I'm resilient, not perfect, and I'm grateful for my gifts. So I'm thankful for the gift of humility. It is my greatest teacher. It's interesting. You, you said how devotion sort of linked in with a lot of what we talked about today. And I think the practice of humility actually did that. I mean, very much that I am work in progress. So even at my age, I still feel I'm work in progress. I saw that line as well in there that, that said, mistakes are often our best teachers. Yes. Yeah. So those teachable moments in our lives, yeah, it's recognizing them and helping us move forward. Yeah. Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed many chats over the years with you, Mum. It's been an honor to have you on the podcast. I'd like to acknowledge your vulnerability in sharing what you have. We've tapped on a number of topics today. We didn't have to take a, a crying break, so that was a, a good start almost, <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, I just wanted to thank you, and it's been fantastic, and I'm sure a lot of people will get a lot listening through this. It's been some some great conversation. I hope so. Love you, Mum. Love you too. Are you planning your next holiday? Let the team at Mind and Body Travel inspire you. With a focus on wellness and well-being, the team at Mind and Body Travel can assist you whether you're looking to attend a retreat, test yourself on an adventure, tick off that bucket list trip, or just create a travel itinerary that includes all that you want in a holiday while taking into account all that your mind and body needs. Revolutionizing the way people look at holidays and travel, they believe that travel should deliver nourishment for your soul, clarity for your mind, and renewed focus upon your return. So you ready to take off? Then it's time to check in with the team at Mind and Body Travel. Just visit www.mindandbodytravel.com. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. It's been great to have you along for the ride. Remember to hit subscribe and share this episode with a friend. Maybe just one person you think could benefit from what was just shared. Also, if you haven't connected with me yet, you can find me on Instagram at the Steve Hodgson and also share underscore underscore podcast. I'll catch you on the next episode.